Father, as we gather in these moments around your word today, we are asking that by your spirit you would take the light of your word and expose anything in our hearts that needs to go. Would you take by your spirit the light of your word and equip our hearts with whatever we need to carry out the mission you've given us in the week ahead. Help us to hear from you and not to miss what you have for us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> picture this. It's Sunday morning. You're in that nice, calm, non-chaotic stage of getting the family ready for church, right? Right? Yeah, you know what we're talking about. Okay, so you're getting ready and someone knocks on your door. You go and you answer the door and there standing on your porch in front of you is someone who says, good morning. You're not going to believe this, but I have become a Christian recently and I'm here to go to church with you. Not only that, I've got a little note here from a good friend of yours who led me to the Lord and they've been discipling me and can I come in? If that were to take place on your front steps, who would be the least likely person to be standing before you? Who in your life, who in your world would be the most unexpected person to be standing there? You have that picture? Who in your life, who in your world would be the toughest person for you to believe and accept in that setting, in that moment. Oh, I don't know if I can trust this. You got it? Does that sound unlikely to happen to you? Acts chapter 8 tells us that there was a young uh, Pharisee, an up-and-comer. He was a rising star in their system. And he was now spending his entire life devoted to stomping out followers of Jesus. And this young man named Saul was, was chasing after people and he was hunting them down. He was beating them, imprisoning them, killing them, going from place to place, town to town, under the full approval of the powers that be to stomp out followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 9 tells us that as he was on his way on one of these trips on the way to Damascus, he was confronted by and converted to Jesus Christ. And God speaks to a follower of Jesus, a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And he says, Saul, Saul has become a follower of Jesus. He's been blinded and I need you to go and I need you to heal him and I need you to teach him. And the response of Ananias to God in that moment is this. Seriously? He says, I've heard about this guy. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got the full picture, but here's what he's doing. He's walking around stomping out Christians. He's killing us. He's hunting us down. That's what's going on. And God said, I know all about that. But he has now become my child your brother, go. 
And Ananias goes, and he gives Paul back his sight and teaches Paul and equips him and strengthens him for ministry. We know him as the Apostle Paul now. An unlikely thing? The day before, if you'd asked Ananias, who could be the least likely person that you're aware of to come to Christ and for you to become involved with? He probably would have written down the name Saul. I mean, this was on their hearts and their minds. This was in a completely unlikely situation for him to find himself in. Well, the man on the other side of that, Saul, Paul, a number of years later, is involved in another situation, similar. Here we find ourselves in, in Turkey, the city of Colossae. We're on the doorstep of the home where the Colossian church meets. And as the door opens to that knock, the, the, the resident standing there opening the door is a man named Philemon. He's a leader in the church. He's the host of its meetings in his large home. As he opens the door, standing there is Tychicus, Paul's friend and, and helper. And Philemon's surprised. And he smiles. Wow, I didn't expect you to be here. Tychicus, that's great. I, you, you brought word from Paul, and he's, a, he's, he's in that instant, he's grateful to see Tychicus. But then there's a little surprise. Because peeking out from behind Tychicus, uh, uh, his shoulder, is someone he never, ever would have expected to see. It's a young man named Onesimus. And Onesimus is standing there behind Tychicus, peeking over his shoulder. Onesimus is a, a thief. He stole from Philemon. He's a runaway slave. He, he ran away from Philemon. He has committed crimes against Philemon. He's a fugitive. And he's standing there with Tychicus, Paul's good friend, looking at Philemon. We don't know. Is he peeking over the shoulder of Tychicus kind of smiling with a nervous grin? <laughs> Surprise? <laughs> Is his head to the ground as he holds out the letters? As he delivers these two letters to Philemon? Philemon reaches out and he takes these letters. The first, you're probably much more familiar with. We call it Colossians. It's Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And in that letter, he tells us at the end of that letter that Tychicus and Onesimus are delivering that letter. And so they hand that letter to Philemon, but on top, there's another envelope. It's got Philemon's name on it. And Philemon looks, and he takes this. And he opens that letter, with his name on it. And he begins to read as his blood starts to boil and his hands start to sweat. And he looks at Tychicus and he's back to Onesimus and back and forth. And he drops his eyes down to the page 
And he starts to read this letter, peering up over the top occasionally. We turn to Philemon and see what he reads. Ready? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon looks up over the top. Okay, no surprises yet. This is from Paul. Expects that from Tychicus. He looks at that. We read that it's from Paul and Timothy. Paul has sent it with Tychicus from Rome, where he is imprisoned. And it's from that prison that he's written a letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. It's from that prison that he's written a, church, or a letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians. It's from that cell that he has written his letter to the Colossians, which is underneath the letter to Philemon right now in Philemon's hand. He hears that it's from Paul. That's not unexpected. Paul greets him in the regular, normal, expected way. He greets Aphia, our sister. Some speculate that that might be Philemon's wife, that Archippus might be their son. But whatever it is, Archippus is a, a co-worker in, in the Lord. And to the church in your house. So this is a public letter as well as a personal one. It's delivered first to Philemon because he has to hear and respond to what is in its contents. But the rest of the group is going to need to hear this too because they're going to have to deal with this going forward as well. He continues to read. Looks back down to the page and he finds this. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because, of the, hearts, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And Paul starts by talking to Philemon about who he is. He says, Philemon, here's who you are. Here's who I'm writing to. I, I, you're my friend. I'm praying for you. I'm thanking God for you because of your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. Don't miss this. This is how Paul starts. I thank God for you because of your, your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. I've been praying for you, Philemon. I'm praying that you will be active in sharing your faith and that as you share your faith and you, you share the gospel with people in your world and in your sphere of influence that you interact with, that in doing so you will grow in your understanding of all that God has done for us in Christ as you repeat this to others and you reminded yourself in the process. As you answer their questions and dig deeper to answer those questions, in that process, I pray that you will just grow in your understanding of what it means for God in Christ to have forgiven you and called you into his family to call you his own child. 
I also want to remind you, Philemon, that you have provided comfort to me, joy to me personally, as I hear how you refresh the hearts of the saints. So I hear how you refresh the hearts of the saints, Philemon. People are just encouraged by being with you. You point them to the Lord. They leave going, ah, oh, it's so good to walk with Jesus together. You refresh their hearts, Philemon. That's, that's good news. That's important. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're my brother in Christ, my co-worker in the gospel. You're an ambassador for Christ sharing the gospel right there in the city of Colossae. You're an encouragement to the church. You refresh the hearts of the saints. Now let's, let's just step back from Philemon's porch for just a second and ask this question. How about you? Are you the type of person who drains the joy and life out of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints? And people leave having spent some time with you going, oh, I just feel encouraged. I feel encouraged in my walk with the Lord. They have refreshed my heart. Which, which would describe you? Good question. Okay, back to the porch, all right? We're back with Philemon. Philemon reads this and he looks up at Tychicus who's smiling. He looks back at Onesimus who's peeking over the shoulder. He says, okay, so far so good. Paul's talked about who I am. Paul's talked about our relationship. Paul's encouraged, that kind of thing. But where's this going? He keeps reading. Accordingly, though, uh, accordingly, uh, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Oh, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I don't know if Philemon has to sit down on that lawn chair on the front porch or lean against the door frame right there, kind of catch his breath for a minute. I don't know if the blood starts to boil and his hands start to clench and crinkle the paper as he reads this. I don't know exactly what his immediate response is as so many things are racing through his heart and his mind as he's looking at this dirty, rotten, no good, runaway thief, Onesimus. And now he's reading this. And Paul says, I could command you to do this. But I'm not. 
I'm asking you to listen to me, to listen to my heart as I appeal to you and I appeal to your heart. Now, we don't know specifically how Onesimus got from Colossae to Rome and how exactly his path started crossing paths with Paul. Kent Hughes puts it this way. This is his best guess. He says, it's probable that Onesimus was a lazy, ungrateful servant with a dishonest streak who saw his chance to make off with a big chunk of his master's savings and did it, leaving Philemon deeply hurt and in financial straits. Though we do not know how Onesimus made his getaway, whether under the cover of darkness or in the guise of a business trip, the direction of flight was predictable. Rome. Maybe he fled to Ephesus where he purchased some handsome clothing that would identify him as a well-to-do man of the road. Then he, he jumped a ship bound for Rome, disembarked at an Italian port and made his way up to Rome where the historian Tacitus said, all things horrible and disgraceful find their way to Rome. There he melded into the dark, sordid world of alias names, lawlessness, and immorality, and there he and his money were soon parted. Well, that's possible. But we do know this. Onesimus was in big trouble. He was guilty of two capital crimes running away as a slave, and theft. Now, they were, two, they were capital crimes in the Roman world because they were sins against the existing social order. If that was allowed to spread, it would mean the demise of slavery and the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was entirely based upon slavery. Rebellious slaves, if not eliminated, were at least branded on the forehead with a large letter F, Fugitivus, fugitive, or CF, cave forum, beware, thief. We don't know how Onesimus happened upon Paul. Maybe he was down and out and heard Paul's name being discussed. Maybe he was placed under arrest in the same location. Maybe he remembered his contact with Philemon and sought him out for help. Whatever the case, he met with Paul, and then he met with Paul again, and then he met with Paul again, and eventually Paul leads him to Christ. Paul leads him to Christ. Onesimus is now a follower of Jesus, a brother in Christ. And so Paul is writing to Philemon saying, during my imprisonment, he has become my son. I have become his father. What did he mean by that? He didn't adopt him. He means I'm his father in the Lord. I led him to Jesus. He's, he's one of us. And so Paul's writing to Philemon saying, if the gospel is about reconciliation between God and sinful, rebellious mankind, if, we, if the gospel is about reconciliation between us and God, and as we saw a few weeks ago, between us and each other, if the gospel can bring together Jew and Gentile, then surely the gospel can also bring together slave and free. Now you've just said, as I reminded you, Philemon, Paul says, I, I just reminded you, 
that you have faith in Jesus, and now so is Onesimus. But I've also reminded you, Paul, or Paul says to Philemon early on, that not only do you have faith in Jesus, you have love for whom? All the saints. Surprise! Onesimus is one. Do you still have love for all the saints, Philemon? Because he's included in this now. He's one of us. Paul says, Philemon, you share a connection. You and Onesimus share a connection in me. He writes in verse 1 that, that Philemon is his, fellow, his beloved fellow worker. In verse 10, he says he's become the father of Onesimus. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. In verse 19, Paul says to Philemon, in just a few moments we'll get there, and he says, you owe me your very self. Why? I'm your father in Christ too. I'm the one that introduced you to Jesus. You share this connection in Paul. But Paul says, now you share a much greater connection in Christ. Regardless of your social standing, you are two former slaves to sin who are now two prisoners to grace who therefore should be two reconciled brothers in Christ. He goes on to say in verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul says, Philemon, as you're leaning against that door frame, looking back and forth from the face to the page, back and forth trying to make sense of this, and your heart and your head are going in so many directions. Consider this. Look at the big picture. Maybe God allowed him to run away from you so that you wouldn't just have some, some slave around your house, but so that he would come to Christ and now you would have a brother in Christ. Maybe that's the big picture of what God's doing here. Look at what he's done. Onesimus is now forgiven. He's saved. He's rescued. He's your brother. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Wow. As if that's not enough to take. And Philemon's trying to, to digest all of this. He's looking at Onesimus and he's, you know, he's looking at Tychicus and he's going, mm hmm, it's true. He looks down and Paul keeps writing and Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Paul says, accept him as you would accept me. Why? Because I'm your brother in Christ and so is he. Transfer his debt to my account. Whatever he stole from you, treat it like I stole it from you. And if you really are going to stand there and demand that you get it back, fine. I'll pay it. Tell me to pay it, and I'll pay it. I'll pay back this debt, Paul says. By the way, you owe me everything, remember? (laughs) I'm just throwing that in there again, Philemon. (laughs) Remember where you once were? And where you are now in Christ? Remember who you once were and who you are now in Christ? You were allowed to make that transition. Is not Onesimus? Charge me. I'll repay it if you're going to make me. And yes, I want some benefit from you. I want some benefit from you. Now that sounds kind of strange. Unless you look at it this way. Back in verse 11, Paul says, Formerly he, Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Why is he talking about that? Because the word, the name Onesimus means what? It means useful. And he says his name is Onesimus, his name is useful, but you used to call him useless. That was like your nickname for him. (laughs) This guy is useless. Well, I'm telling you, he's a follower of Christ, and he's useful to me, and he is now very useful to you. That same word useful, that same root word is what Paul is using here when he says, I want some benefit from you. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. He's saying, I want you to be useful to me in the Lord. Or is it you who are now useless? He's kind of putting it on heavy here, eh? But this is a big deal. This is a big deal, an important moment in Philemon's life, in the life of Onesimus, and in the life of the church that's about to come knocking and and meet in that home. How are we going to respond to this? How are we going to process all this? Paul says, how about you be useful too? How about you forgive him and receive him in and accept him? Now, some people get very upset with the letter of Philemon. They get upset because in this letter, the Apostle Paul does not attack the institution of slavery. And so then they go off on all these weird, wild tangents about the Bible and slavery and all these kind of things. Listen. Paul didn't talk about lots of things in the letter to Philemon. Addressing the institution of slavery in the Roman world was not the point of this letter. It was not the point of their interaction or the situation in which they found themselves. That's not what Paul was addressing at all. Paul calls them brothers. He urges reconciliation and forgiveness. He reminds them of the principles and patterns of Christian conduct. 
And he doesn't say this, I just want, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. He says, I want you to extend to him loving forgiveness. Loving forgiveness. And this process, Paul says, is going to take great humility on the part of two people. Onesimus, as he looks at Onesimus and hands him that note, and says, Tychicus there, he's holding that, that letter to the, the Colossian church in Colossae. Yeah, well, when you go with him to deliver it, pardon? Yeah, you're going with him. Back home to Colossae. Yes, you're going back home to Colossae. Do you know where the church meets? Of course I know where the church meets, Paul says. Uh, in your old place. And you're going with Tychicus to deliver the letter to the Colossian church, but I've got one little bonus note for you to take. Onesimus. You're a follower of Jesus now. You need to go home and make things right. Humble yourself and go make things right. And on the other end, Paul says, Philemon, oh, you could stand on your legal rights and you could just demand all kinds of things and exact revenge and all that kind of stuff. But listen, I'm urging you to great humility here and to simply extend loving forgiveness to a brother in Christ. That's what he's calling them both to. He then says, I commended you at the beginning of this letter, Philemon, because you are one with a reputation as somebody who refreshes the hearts of the saints. That's great. But let's find out if that's a reputation or if it's reality. I want you to refresh my heart in Christ. And you'll refresh my heart in Christ by showing me the power of God's work in your life as you extend forgiveness and welcome to Onesimus. So is this just reputation? Or are you going to refresh my heart? Wow. We've talked, Philemon, about who you are. The question is, who will you be now? Who will you be now? Some people teach the book of Philemon as though it's a book about two believers where one has sinned against the other and so we're supposed to forgive each other as brothers in Christ. I don't see it that way. I think there's other passages in Scripture that clearly deal with how we forgive a, a a brother or sister in Christ who sins against us, how we confront that, how it's repented of, how it's dealt with. We have other passages that deal with that. When Philemon is sinned against, when Onesimus steals from him and runs away, he's not a follower of Christ. He's not a follower of Christ. He's an unbeliever doing what unbelievers do. It doesn't excuse it. But it's not like this brother in Christ has offended you somehow. It's like, Philemon, I want you to get the big picture here. If you're going to worry about making sure everything's paid back and everything else like that, I just have to ask you, is that more important than the fact that this man you know so well is now a follower of Jesus? Which one's more important? That you get what you deserve? Or that he gets the gospel? Philemon, that's the choice you have to make. 
Paul says, remember God's great love for you. I've told you about my great love for Onesimus and God's great love for Onesimus. Now the question is, will you show love to Onesimus? So how does Philemon respond to Paul? How does, he, how does he react to all this? You can imagine everything swimming around in his head as he's standing there on his porch reading this letter, looking at these two faces, waiting for his response. Onesimus, the hands are, are, are sweaty. His knees are knocking. Where, which way is this going? Where did it go? Well, Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Just as you're praying for my release, make sure there's a spare bed because I would like to come and visit you again after God releases me from prison here and just see how things are going. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, all these men that you know, they all send their greetings. <laughs> oh, you're writing to Philemon? What are you writing to Philemon about? <laughs> We're praying for you, Philemon. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. How did Philemon respond to Paul? We don't know. We don't know. I, I would assume that he responded well because he didn't crumple it up and throw it away. We still have the letter. <laughs> I think that's a good sign. Paul says to him, he ends the letter with the way he began it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace and peace needed in this situation can only come from God. And it's right there. Are you going to rely on it? Are you going to take it, Philemon? What are you going to do? Well, we don't have the final word on how Philemon responded here. But let me ask you and I a few questions here this morning. Are you a follower of Christ? Have you gotten to the point where you've surrendered your life, everything you have, everything you are, to Jesus? as the King of kings and Lord of lords, because that's who he is, Son of God, Lord of all? Are you trusting him alone for forgiveness and life because of what he did, the righteous one paying for your sin and rebellion against God so that you, the sinful rebel, might stand in his righteousness before God? Is that you? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you have become a follower of Jesus, maybe recently you've become a follower of Jesus, and there are some things that are kind of hanging like a dark cloud, go make it right. Humble yourself. Go make it right. Go make it right. Are you not a follower of Jesus? You haven't yet made that commitment, that surrender of your life? then that means that, that you're here today. Maybe we share a connection. 
We share a connection between different people in our community, friends, family, different people in the room that we've known from different places. We played hockey with them or our kids went to school together. Whatever it is, we know them. And we, we, we share that connection. Maybe we work together, we volunteer together out in the community, whatever it is. We have that connection in those things. But in the most important thing, we do not share a connection in Christ. And that means that, in reality, we are worlds apart. Because the greatest problem is, I'm separated from God. And I need that relationship restored to Him. And listen, the God who would ask Philemon to extend that forgiveness to Onesimus is the one who sent His Son and sacrificed his son as an act of extending forgiveness and life to you and me. Have you responded to that? If you haven't, oh, I urge you. That is the greatest connection we could ever share, but that's the greatest connection you need. It's the connection with Jesus who leads you home to the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Steve, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've committed my life to Jesus. I, I've surrendered to him and I'm walking with him. Fantastic. Let me go right back to the beginning of the message and ask you this. Who's your least likely? Next Sunday morning, that doorbell goes. Who's the least likely person in your world to be standing there? For Philemon, it was Onesimus. For Ananias, it was Saul. Who is it for you? In his blog... More to the point, Russell Moore wrote about a conversation he had with theologian Carl Henry. And Moore and some of his pastor colleagues were lamenting the miserable shape of the church. And they asked Dr. Henry if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. And here's what Dr. Henry said. Of course there's hope for the next generation of evangelicals. But the leaders of the next generation might not even be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They may well still be pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Coulson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish decal on his car. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. God has surprising ways of reaching into this sinful, rebellious world and calling people to himself and redeeming them and then using them for his purposes and glory. Hmm. So who's the most surprising in your world? The most unlikely? Are you still praying for that relative, that coworker, that neighbor, that classmate, that teammate, that friend? Are you still praying? And what would it take for you to accept them as a brother or sister in Christ when they turn? What would it take for you to accept them? See, as ambassadors for Christ, we do not get to change the message. And we do not get to choose its recipients. 
As an, ambassador for, as an ambassador for Christ, this process is not about me and it's not about you. It's about the one I represent and the one to whom I'm sent. It's about the one to whom you are sent by the one whom you represent. May God open our hearts and our eyes to the love that God has for those who are still lost. And to the love that God has for us who were once lost. As we walk through the process this week of walking with Jesus, shining his light and sharing the good news of the gospel in this community, may you be active in sharing your faith. And as a result, may you be just encouraged as you are reminded of the details of God's love and work for you as you share those details with others. May you be overwhelmed again with just how amazing it is what God has done for you as you answer questions and dig deeper and go, wow, look at what God has done. And in the process, in the process as we do this together, oh, may you and I be people who refresh the, saints, the hearts of the saints along the way. Amen? Let's stand and sing of God's great great love for us.